Hello, everybody, and welcome to another trial from the RPG Academy. I am Michael. No, that's a lie. I am uh, everyone's favorite Scott Classic here representing Michael at the RPG Academy because he had much more boring things to do today. And so uh, welcome to our trial of Fantagi. We have the one and only inventor, innovator, creator of Fantagi system himself, Calvin, as our GM today. And uh, rounding out this cadre of crazy critters that you're going to hear about on our voices are also uh, Andrew Young, that one GM, Calum of the uh, Rollisters podcast. He'll tell me how to pronounce that in a second. And of course, uh, Chris from Redemption Pod. So say hello, everybody. Hello, hello everybody. everybody. All at once. Perfect. Yep. that's that's We're just efficient like that. All right, so uh, with no real further ado, uh, I will go ahead and turn time over to uh, the one, the only Calvin, to uh, kind of give us a briefing over the, the wider concept of the game, and then we might get into individual player and character introductions. Excellent. Yeah, so I think today the trial is of our uh, role-playing game, Fantasy. It's a universal qualitative role-playing game. So because it's an engine that can be used anywhere, um, we were discussing you know, what kind of game we were going to jump into tonight. Um, we have four full campaign settings in the book, but you can kind of make up your own. You could play in Harry Potter. You could do Star Wars. You know, people could kind of do whatever they want with the system. So we are doing today, as you will find out, Furry Road. It is a Mad Max meets anthropomorphic uh, critters of the desert and Southwest. So because Fontagy is uh, a fully, like I said, universal, it's also a qualitative engine. There are no stats. Um, characters will be defined by these traits that we've kind of chatted about, but we'll go through... Uh, maybe one or two of the characters and uh, just fine tune or polish some things off before we start. So I think that'll be really great uh, for everyone to sort of see how you, you know, tighten the bolts on a group or a set of characters. And then as we're playing, it's going to be very, um, it'll have sort of not wordplay and not necessarily puns, um, but you'll be riffing off of themes and traits of these characters. So it will be sort of important to be creative on every turn. Um, there might be some times when people are trying to think of maybe what they want to do and you can kind of help their table talk is, is sort of okay in this game. Um, there's no real initiative. You kind of go in whatever order the team wants to go in. So all the enemies will go in that round. And then on the play round, all the players will go. So there will be sort of a table talk thing. And I think it'll be easiest when someone takes their turn um, just to kind of, you know, like mention it, we'll pause and they can, you know, sort of like officially make that statement. There's like a little um, who wants to be a millionaire sort of final answer type thing. They'll give their turn. Uh, we'll all discuss how many dice they roll from that, which of the phrases they've all riffed off of. Um, and then other than that, it'll kind of play out just like um, a traditional role playing game. Fantasy is maybe in the story game tradition, um, but because you actually really want to role play your character, there's no sort of metagame where you as like the player or storyteller have maybe like a different agenda or a different motive than your character does, which I think might be, you know, sort of something that's sort of brought in with the story game, right? You might want your character to lose so you can get some kind of like meta story points to use later. Um, in Fantasy, you're still like you and your character's agendas and motives have aligned. So you do want them to succeed. There's no time you're going to like intentionally lose something to sort of get like some narrative points later on. Um, but it will maybe it'll feel something like a story game though because as you narrate your turn um you do have some control over sort of bringing elements in you can you know as the enemy attacks me then i respond right you can kind of you can lead and do things like that like maybe you could in a story game but yeah other than that it'll play out really traditionally uh so maybe i'll set the scene real fast and then we can sort of introduce the characters as the camera would if that makes sense sounds good to me um we'll start uh tonight in a desert um this is uh, we can maybe the cue like the good, the bad, and the ugly type stuff in the background, right? But we're going to start in the desert. Um, on one end of the horizon is this little blurry shadowed blob just on the horizon, right, where all the, the heat vapors are sort of obscuring view. On the other end, then you have another sort of blurry blob. This one's on the move. 
and you, you can hear the rumble of an engine and you can see the shape, which slowly as it comes then towards the camera will be this giant half tank, half tortoise contraption um, bubbling over with some chatter and some, some characters we'll get to know soon, slowly moving towards the other end of this horizon. So you can imagine the camera zooming in, you can imagine just the desolation of this high noon, terribly hot, 100 and maybe 20 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Um, and as we draw together, they approach then this gnarled, leafless tree. And upon this tree, two bodies have been tied, much like the tree of woe in everyone's favorite barbarian film. So then you have uh, this tortoise tank or this tortoise monster truck coming across the desert, just minding their own business, leaving a long trail of tread tracks behind them. And they come upon two sorry sorts tied to this gnarled tree and we can kind of go through, introduce um, who's what, um, maybe as these people stop, even have a little bit of conversation here. And I will jump in with some action as soon as you guys feel like you've introduced yourself. Okay, uh, so uh, sort of hanging uh, upside down uh, to the tree, uh, you've got anthropomorphic armadillo. His face is partially hidden by the red bandana who is supposedly hanging from his neck but uh, is falling uh, onto his face. He seems rather bulky. He's got long mustaches and uh, but at the same time he's bulky but short and uh, he's trying, he's doing frantic movements as he's apparently trying to grab a miner's cap which fell on the floor. And next to the miner's cap, there's a half a dozen very tiny hopping mice, which are also trying to, to hop to grab his hand or maybe to help him uh, untie himself. Excellent. Yeah, so he's probably waking up. Or, uh, well, I guess he, he woke up recently and he realized that there's someone uh, tied next to him. Hey, hey, mate. Hey, wake up. Yes? Who the hell are you? I am Stefan. And who are you? I'm Reese. I'm Adilo Reese. Uh, this is a collective. Uh, I don't know how I ended up here. Uh, do you remember anything? The only thing I remember is Booty and I were working on a project and then everything went dark. What do you, what do you remember? Well, we were sort of uh, walking towards the city and uh, well, the town and, and yes, yeah, I guess someone called us from the back. Uh, we were in the Rockies, and yeah, after that, everything went, went dark. Perfect, so we can see these characters then who don't seem to know each other then. Um, each of them being, you know, something happened, something, you know, maybe a surprise from behind. Uh, most of your objects, most of your items would have been missing. You can imagine the, the torn clothes, maybe strewn knapsacks around here, but you've definitely been found, maybe to not have the kinds of information, the kinds of artifacts um, these people who accosted you were looking for, and so you've been left for dead tied up to this tree. And then our group of uh, approaching adventurers or the Curioso show on top of this tank tortoise. Riding high on the top of a slow-moving semi-tractor trailer, uh, haphazardly bolted on with, with uh, armored plates uh, forming what, what you'd almost swear was, was a, a shell over the top of the, the back of the rig, is one uh, humanoid rabbit with uh, sort of an, an old uh, military fatigue uh, uniform on with an officer's insignia and a dental corps emblem on the front. And uh, the name tag on the front emblazoned uh, says uh, Mackenzie, comma Z. 
Zips McKenzie uh, lets his large ears blow into the, the harsh desert wind before uh, peering down into the, the open porthole that his torso is emerging from at the front of this vehicle. Hey, something down there. I see a tree. Looks like some uh, people strewn up on it. D- d- do you see that? Uh, hang on a second. And uh, a very small, uh, older mouse woman stands up from her workbench where she was being bumped and jumped along as the, as the turtle-like semi-truck uh, drove across the desert. And she opens one of the armored windows and sticks her hat out and sees uh, sees the figures tied to the tree. Oh, yes, I do see them. Huh? Should we should we stop or are they dead already? Uh, I, I, I don't know, but uh, if... if- if you look at the horizon, it looks like there's some bad news coming up on us. I'm not quite certain what what we should do. Should should we stop and leave? Uh, what, should we leave them? Um, probably we should, but um, um, we should acquire compatriots. Oh, Wolf thinks we should stop and save them. Oh well, um, I guess this is a a, a democracy. If, if, if we're asking everybody, uh, uh, T- Tobias, Tobias, do you have an opinion? Slow and steady wins the race, says a methodical tortoise-like voice from the tortoise-shaped compartment of uh, steering in the front of this uh, large armored contraption. And of course, Wilhelmina um, pats the half-mechanical sort of contraption that she carries on her back that contains the artificial uh, simulated intelligence known as Wolf. Well, um... I don't really know what that means. That's slow and, uh, so, so do you want to stop? I mean, I, I guess that... I think it means stop. Oh, uh, I think we should stop. Okay. Hey, you there. Armadio uh, Reese is trying to twist uh, on the, the rope. He's suspended with, hey, hey, yo, comrade, you would lend a, a paw to a fellow uh, comrade in uh, trouble, wouldn't you? Uh, uh, well, yeah, yes, I, I think the consensus is we will. Uh, yep, yep, just, uh, and there's there's a great groaning screech of brakes, even though, uh, the vehicle was at no point moving really fast, uh, somehow it takes an incredible amount of, of wailing rusted metal sound to break it into a stopped motion. And, uh, once it does stop, you hear a lurch sound as everything shifts backwards still and, and, uh, resettles into a, a stationary point. And then uh, a very uh, robust elderly turtle extracts uh, himself from the steering uh, area, while uh, a very uh, speedy Zips uh, bounds out of the the top portal and and down to look at these two figures tied uh, rather far up in this ancient decrepit tree. Next to the armadillo, you notice that the other person hanging is in in a bag, and he's kind of struggling to get out of the bag. It's a big canvas sack that they've got him stuffed in. And he looks a little bigger than you are and a little bigger than even the armadillo. What did, what did you do to get strung up here exactly? Are you criminals? We're, we don't have much spare gas. I, I, don't, I don't want it to be robbed. No, no, sir. I'm an inventor. Oh, and Wil- Wilhelmina by this time has stepped out of the, the wagon wearing, wearing Wolf on her back. And the, the backpack is bigger than she is and um, sticking up over each shoulder is a sort of uh, uh, rod with a big metal orb. Uh, on the end of it, so they're and they're they crackling. The two orbs are crackling back and forth occasionally with uh with um, energy. Oh, a fellow inventor. Well, we we have to take them down. Please, please do. Yes. All right. Well, how will we get them down? I don't have um a cutting implement of any kind. I've never met a an inventor that was just a bag before, but uh, well, uh, Wilhelmina, if, if you vouch for him, and uh, Zips 
pulls out a a gigantic oversized uh, blade from his bag. It, it was cre- taking up most of his backpack, and, and once uh, the the glint uh, into the camera fades, uh, you can see that this blade must have been taken from, uh, say, a, like a derelict, uh, very large aircraft, or maybe a, a very small uh, windmill, wind turbine. Um, but this blade's been been uh, separated from the turbine, and it's it's uh, been given a serrated edge along. So wielding this massive blade, uh, Zips strikes up uh, twice in careful succession, uh, dropping the two figures from the tree into the unyielding desert floor. Oh, there uh, was a there was another fellow trapped on the other side of the tree. Some sort of ferret or maybe a weasel. That would be Booty. Oh, he's with me. The bag starts to open, and you see. You see claws kind of stick out, and then as the bag opens, you see uh, the muzzle of a coyote coming out. As he emerges from the bag, he's got like this canvas lab coat on that you can see has got several little pockets in it, and you can see several little tools all arranged all in there. And he immediately starts patting down his pockets to make sure he has everything. Thank you for getting me out of there. Could you tell me where we are? The desert. The, about the middle of nowhere, which is uh, generally the best place in nowhere. Is there, is there a way you could narrow that down? Uh, well, uh, I think, uh, judging by the the sort of heat and black signature coming off of those uh, waves I see to the south, it looks like we're about 15 minutes from being overrun by an angry mob of someone. So now you can hear the, the throttle then of engine um, off on that horizon. Um, we'll give you guys uh, each a little small time to sort of maybe get your bearings, right? Now is the... Uh, maybe your tortoise would take, you know, you could, it would take a while to get the engine back going or something like that. Um, each of you then standing, um, sort, of, sort of gathering, collecting yourselves, maybe um, as, you, as you hear first and then see along that horizon then a huge pack, a, a gigantic force um, of what would be several vehicles of all different shapes and sizes, uh, much like the great diesel punk images we can all sort of marshal up in our minds of ragtag vehicles sort of put back together. Um, of, of various parts, lots of things rusted, dripping behind it, you know, losing fuel, losing diesel or something like that, but also the, the sand then behind it just leaving um, a big cloud sort of off that vision. Um, in front then you see this, uh, the blob sort of split as the, the vanguard then would come out in the front, maybe moving slightly faster uh, than the rest of it. You'll see two forms actually on small motorbikes getting closer and then nothing but like a tumble hill, like as Bugs Bunny kind of makes as he travels then, uh, moving just under the sand next to that. Um, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna introduce then the scene here. In Fontagy then, each of these characters will have two traits. We'll kind of go over that mechanic uh, just now. But the scene overall, this scene here, this sort of, you know, our heroes just stumbling upon each other, um, will have three themes. And so this first encounter is we jump into some action here and kind of, you know, bring in the conflict and bring in the antagonists um, of our adventure. Um, the three themes we have then for this particular encounter are dust in the wind, strangers become friends, and end of my rope. So these three things here are going to function just like the traits of the characters. These are qualitative phrases um, that you will riff off of on your turns. So dust in the wind, you know, just kind of brings in this idea of, I mean, what, it's a beautiful song. Um, but this idea, one, that there's going to be sand and dust moving everywhere. Also this idea of like momentariness or things being ephemeral you know, even life in this kind of world, I mean, the fact that you guys are all still alive and have reached adulthood is in some ways kind of a success, right? Most people don't really live to adulthood in these sort of bleak times. So kind of that, you know, hold that sort of, that like sort of depressive, like end of life type feel, right? Memento mori almost. All of these things 
um, can play in this dust in the wind. Also, you know, throwing dust in people's eyes, turning your back to the wind, right? Any kind of way you reference or bring in this element, this thematic element of the story on your turn is going to land you an extra die when you challenge, right? So this idea of dust in the wind. Really cool. So just like there are, if there were their own traits from our character, we can collectively use those from the scene right. in the game. Well, excellent. So it kind of has like a Texas Hold'em type thing where each character will start with two traits and then the scene shares those three themes. Um, so then our next, our second theme would be strangers become friends. It's a little bit heavy handed on my part, I imagine, but one of them, <laughs> the themes of this encounter is this sort of like banding together, right? Um, so strangers become friends, right? Play to that however you like, right? Sort of like referencing um, growing trust, you know, without being, you don't have to be sort of melodramatic, right? But the idea of, you know, making eye contact with your compadre before you jump in, even the fact that we have this Armadillo Reese as a character who's like a leader with these other miners and these mice, right? Even then that idea of, you know, like working together, anything like that is going to get you an extra die in your challenge, right? To sort of include that thematic element. Um, then we also have end of my rope. Um, this is something then that I think um, will be in a few of the scenes here, but also kind of gets the idea of, you know, you guys like maybe like your best equipment, maybe that big project that Stefan was working on, um, he no longer has access to, right? He's been like dislocated from his lab. Someone rifled through, knocked him out. Who knows what they did? You know, found out maybe this guy isn't going to be as useful for us and so let him go. Well, tied him up to a tree and left him for dead. <laughs> Uh, to cover their tracks, but still let him go, right? So you're kind of then, I mean, how do you get back? Do you know where you are, right? Everyone here is sort of kind of, and the idea of scarce resources, right? Your, your last bit of rope even, right? Um, using rope anytime you can, getting to the end of things, right? Depending on, each group will sort of settle on how much wordplay it allows in the game of Fontagy. Fontagy really sort of follows both the flavor of your game, whether you're lewd, silly, serious, somber, right? How, how your group plays. And then also, um, not just that flavor, but then also sort of like, um, how rigid you'd like to be, right? Do you play to just like that sort of strict meaning of these themes, like end of the rope? Can I use a physical rope? I like to say I don't really go to puns, but I'm okay with wordplay as a GM. Um, we can find, you know, a serious group, you know, might just sort of keep it like, no, it has to be sort of like that end of the rope. It doesn't, you know, they won't let you use literal rope. You know, they kind of want it, you know, to be a little more tight on those meanings of themes. I like it when it's a bit more loose, right? So this theme scene here then, as you see, there's two motorcycles and, a, and some kind of trail, <laughs> coming at you, right? And we have end of my rope, dust in the wind, and strangers become friends. Also then we have some conditions. Conditions are just matters of fact. These are just the reality of how things are, but they're realities that will mechanically affect the game. So then the two things that I'm considering sort of realities that can affect the game are the fact that it is high noon, right? So the high noon sun is a condition. And so this is not something literary that we play to. This is not a thematic element you sort of bring into your turns and your description. This is just something that's real. And these are like little booby traps. If you ever do something um, that would sort of contravene one of these conditions, um, your character is going to lose momentum for that. Um, the sun thing, maybe it's okay. You know, if you had mirrors and you're trying to blind people, you can sort of take advantage of it to, to help, you know, it's like a booby trap against your enemies, right? These are just matters of fact. Um, these will come into play at the end of your turn uh, when you are deciding strategically what you want to do. And also wide open desert, right? So there's kind of nowhere to hide here. It's high noon sun and wide open desert would be the two conditions that are in effect in this scene. I've just thrown uh, some obstacles out there. I'm gonna give, coming into view now, um, you can see sort of like the tail uh, and the head as this almost like a sea monster. This rattlesnake is moving up and down through the sand. And so you see this rattlesnake coming towards you. No limbs, but has like some really cool, you know, spiked collars or maybe some like studded like bolts put into its scales down the side. <laughs> Uh, maybe an artificial mohawk of 
like old mechanical parts sticking out of its head. Um, you can't hear the rattle yet. It's still barely coming into view. We'll put them maybe 200 yards out there. You see uh, on one of the motorcycles it has two sidecars and there's a trio of small lizards. These are going to be geckos. And they've got the full goggles on. They've got face paint, maybe some of that metallic spray face paint things. You know, they're all hyped up on something. And these geckos, again, you can't hear them, but you can see they're constantly jabbering, right, as they get a little closer to you. All of them goggled up. All of them, you know, with like the cross leather straps on. They've got torn oil-stained denim and things like that. Um, and then you see riding in the front on like a big like Harley-style motorcycle um, is the Rat Boss. And this Rat Boss has a huge crossbow. Um, I think we decided all these animals are going to be animal size. So this tree could be gigantic for you, right? So is everything here, all the mechanics and things like that are made for you guys, right? They're your size. This motorcycle is the size um, of this rat, but maybe like the tufts of grass or the trees and things wouldn't be is how I'm imagining. So the wheels are Coca-Cola caps and stuff like that. <laughs> right. Well, so no, right. So we're going <laughs> to, the mechanics are all for the, the animals of some sort, right? We'll just, we'll keep it in a slightly fantastical. Um, where a combustion engine can fit inside something three inches long, right? <laughs> um, so it's, I mean, it's only two-stroke. It's a two-stroke engine. That's awesome. <laughs> so there's this huge motor. Right? There's also this gorgeous motorcycle with like, you know, maybe a couple mouse skulls on the front, you know, broken headlight that's just got some like graffiti over it and things like that. You can see all the, the ticks on the side, like an old World War I plane or something. Maybe all the people he's killed. I don't know. Maybe all the Pepsis he's drank. You don't know. Um, but he's getting closer too, right? And he has the little cap with the, the singular point on the top, his old motorcycle, as they ride in towards you, okay? So this, so you can see these enemies approaching. You know they don't mean anything good. Um, you know this is like a Badlands area. There's plenty of different clans and gangs and things like that constantly. Um, we have this sort of, um, I guess, and you guys will introduce your characters and play more. We have this sort of, it seems like a rather good-natured group of travelers and then these two sort of, you know, displaced. We had an inventor, and then we have this sort of, this like union leader, right? So two people that rub somebody the wrong way. You can recognize by the handiwork, it was the same gang that hung you both up here. Okay. And so coming this way then, who knows who it is? Uh, I'm going to give each of you then two checks to prepare for the upcoming encounter here, right? And again, we're going to start with some action. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come at you guns a-blazing, right? And you guys can tell this isn't like, you know, they didn't send the contingent of like the parlay team, right? You can see the rat load <laughs> up his, his crossbow and get ready for you. Um, so in Fontagy then, there's pretty much um, simply two things you can do on any given turn. Um, you can make a check. A check is going to be a small move, some kind of little role play. Um, you add a little bit to the story or prepare something for your character. With that check, you're going to play to one of your character's traits or the themes. So by role-playing, anything sort of in theme, right? Any sort of role-play element that riffs off of a character um, or riffs off of one of the themes for, for the encounter, um, you're going to roll one die against a difficulty. Um, difficulties are set three, five, or eight by the game master. Um, if I tell you to roll, just assume it's a three, right? Most anything that's going to add to the story, um, you guys are, I mean, you're literally professional role-players here. So I'm imagining anything's going to be creative enough, it'll be three or higher. So it's an 80% chance of succeeding on any check. Um, if you start doing the same thing over and over, or if there's something that really is difficult, like if you're going like, to chop down this tree or something big, I would set the difficulty higher for that. Um, but in most cases, the difficulty will reflect just sort of, you know, how in the moment and how on theme this particular check is, right? So because you're playing to one thing, you roll one die. If you pass that check then, you can either build drama for your character, which just means you take a drama token, your character gains momentum. That's free dice you can use later, right? So just doing something small, even role-playing, you know, digging your heels in the ground and eyeing down your enemy, 
you know, could play to one of your character's traits, right? Pick, flipping up your collar and like narrowing your eyes or putting your goggle down to protect it from the sand and the wind. That's playing to dust in the wind right there. Roll a check, get some momentum, right? Just doing something cool, role playing that character out or taking account for the scene, you can roll. So you can make a small check where you gain drama or you play with the conditions. And so the conditions, and you can set up or add a, a mechanical element to the story. Like if you wanted to hide behind the tree, you could set a condition, my character is behind the tree, right? And then if we were playing um, in person, I would write that down on a red marker and just put that index card on the table. So most of the things in Phonogy are sort of, you just write them down index cards and your table ends up sort of littered with obstacles, conditions, themes, like things written down in black, red, or blue uh, markers. Um, so just index cards across the table. Um, so you can add that. You could maybe change something. You could try to build a wall. You could all get inside the vehicle, right? Any kind of thing your character actually has control to do, you can set up as a condition. So I'll give you two small checks. When it comes to challenges, a challenge is actually then an opposed role against an obstacle. And that's when you're going to try to hit as many of these traits and themes as you can to roll as many dice as you can. And that's like a full-on attack. Or if the obstacle were something like, you know, fixing a well or fixing a pump or regassing your car, right? Any kind of obstacle can be written up in Fantasy. So that'll be something that we'll deal with like in a, in a, in a, like a few turns or a few, you know, right, rounds yeah. or whatever. So I'll, be, I'll jump the challenges at you and that's when you're going to try to you'll play, play to as much as you can and really get into that role play. Um, so right now I'm giving each of you two checks. It can go in any order. Feel free for someone, you know, to take two turns in a row or kind of go across, you know, however you want. Um, table talk is, you know, is kind of okay. If it takes you too long, it'll cut you off, I guess. Uh, but everyone sort of gets two checks then to just, you know, as the, the credits are going by, you know, you got cinematography, you've got written screenplay by, and it's just, it's going to pop up with like directed by Ang Lee, like just as, you know, the camera is sort of panning across our heroes. So everyone gets two. Great. Well, if there's no objections, I think I'm going to jump in with a check first then. So Wilhelmina um, uh, is going to dig around and she doesn't have like a lot of equipment, but she does have some like metal rods hanging from her backpack. Um, and she sort of pulls one off and, um, goes and uh sticks it out in the ground a little bit away from her and she taps the she, she, before she does that she taps it to the top of her backpack and it sort of buzzes and her whiskers sort of fritz out a little bit when she does it and then she puts it in the tree uh, or in the ground and so what i'm doing is hoping to like set a trap Ooh. um that'll have a connection that i'll have a connection to that particular point in the ground and i'll be able to zap it or zap in its direction okay cool yeah, so we can imagine you're playing to your um, eclectic energy trait with that? Um, yes, probably proponent of eclectic energy. Yeah, I like it. So three or higher? Um, one, huh. so less perfect. Doesn't collect a charge. So maybe you're rubbing it takes too long as you sort of like, you know, put the rod or get the, you know, the gizmos going. And Sips uh, will narrow his eyes at the oncoming baddies, sigh heavily to himself, and say, oh, in my long ears... I've seen this time and again. Burnt out carriages by the side of the road. Bodies. Dang, dark. So I can see, I mean, so then we as a group then will decide like what he hits, right? So if this were a challenge, he may have gotten four or five just from that small uh, description there. We can think of end of rope, maybe? It sounded like long in the tooth to me, like he'd, he'd seen a lot, sort of very like... Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, so then one of his character's traits, long in the tooth, right? So three or higher for just that, that grim realization. Like all the three. Oh, excellent. So then with that, I mean, it seems kind of like you were going for drama there. So your character would gain a drama. So in this case, then, if you were um, playing at home, you'd put a poker chip or a counter or, or any of the, you know, the wonderful accessories that we sell at Anthropos Games. Um, but yeah, you just mark that, you know, poker chips, quarters, you know, any kind of counters you might have for your game. It's pretty easy just to keep on your character sheet. 
um, as a visualization. So this drama is in-game. This isn't a meta point system or something. This is in-game. Everyone around can see that, you know, he's just kind of got that grizzled edge to him and that if it's that momentum of motion, it's still a drama, like a poised sort of pregnant drama. And then uh, Zips will also uh, uh, motion to the, uh, the, the, the gargantuan vehicle behind us and say, anyone who doesn't want to be a part of this should get inside before we button up the tortoise shell. And uh, before the, the combat acts, I, I would want to uh, have buttoning up the tortoise shell, meaning that, that, that uh, everyone who has retreated into the vehicle, we, we sort of defend it up so that uh, hopefully it can be more protective for those who are in there in some meaningful way. Yeah. We like batten down the hatches. There, there's some, uh, our, our slow vehicle has, has some uh, equivalent of, of a turtle head poking itself back in. So that could be then even a check for your, your mount pet. I mean, Tobias then could be playing to strangers become friends. Does that make sense? Right? Yes. So some of you have multiple tiles or multiple um, characters to control. So Zips has a companion that's this Tobias tortoise. And at any time, um, Scott can combine those two as one unit. And his followers consider a mount or pet. So he can like get with Tobias and function as one unit, or he can have them act separately as two separate characters. So in this case, then Tobias would be taking this turn playing to strangers become friends. Yeah, three or yeah. higher. Yeah, so uh, Tobias will then uh, hold open the door, got at seven, and uh, lead anyone who wants to in before uh, shutting it up tight. Yeah. And so that would be a drama token for Tobias, or you could have a condition like, you know, bunker in place or bunker prepared. Ooh, uh, I, I would take uh, the condition, definitely, of, of turtled up. All right, and uh, hearing that, Stefan looks over at uh, the weasel that's next to him and says, well, Booty, let's jump on there and... I think we can use this sack they had me in and some stuff on their little vehicle there and we could make some sort of blindfold that we could throw and capture the rat boss's head. And they proceed to climb onto the, the truck and start to build kind of like a little parachute that's going to open up and try to wrap around the rat boss's head. Kind of trying to use the dust and the wind trait that you had. Yeah, dig it. Yeah, so three or higher for that. That's cool. Sorry to interrupt. When do we decide if a thing we're doing is to get a, to earn a drama token or to create a condition? Is that something you decide before you roll or after you roll or any, any time? Yeah, I mean, I guess in that, in that case, I would usually let the narrative sort of decide in that case, right? So if Chris is saying, yeah, Stefan and his crew are going to sort of go inside and start preparing something, to me, that the narrative is, I mean, that's going to set the difficulty the same either way. So in that case, I wouldn't have to sort of worry about it until after the roll. Um, if it was something like, you know, if you wanted to cut down the tree, as I mentioned before, like, I'd be, whoa, that's a difficulty. Like, well, you know, that would be a whole obstacle. I'd put another obstacle out saying cutting down this tree is going to have a certain number of wounds. It's going to take a while. Um, but if he wants to sort of like, you know, use the, you know, because maybe he's missing his stuff. So he hops in and uses the shears and then kind of one turn, you know, cuts out the right shape he wants with some like projector things on the side. I'd be fine with letting that be a small check that can generate drama for him for sure. Or have a condition like, you know, net in play or something that we can then use later. So that's just something that the player and the GM agree on is this thing is going to give me a point or this thing is going to create a condition. It's not like a predetermined thing you have to decide ahead of time. Right. Ahead of time, you want it for your turn. But everything that's, um, that comes into play comes into play sort of the same way. So there, it wouldn't be sort of like a wishy-washy, is it or is it not? Um, it's either going to be a condition or it's going to be a drama token. Right. So if he says, no, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I want to have this like piece of equipment here. And then I would count that as a drama token, right? Because now it's something that's like helped his character. He's got this cool piece of equipment he can launch on his turns. I would consider that just a drama token, right? 
if it was something that you wanted to say, okay, no, I, now that I'm like equipped with this thing, then that would be a condition, right? This thing now exists. This thing is in play. Does that make sense? Right? It's like, if you want it to be sort of an edge for your character, or if you want it to be now like a new material fact in the game would sort of determine that. Speaking of which, I think Amadi Loris uh, was lying on the fr on the, the ground uh, with the hopping mice, uh, hopping on me. And uh, reluctantly is is uh, standing up. They they sort of pulled the cap to him, so he's dusting his shoulders. He's wearing this overall, which is tied around his waist, uh, which lets his sort of uh, carapace shoulder uh, standing. And it seems that probably they, they were not considered being something really valuable, but there's a duffel bag with tools, which is being pulled by the hopping mice towards Reese. So he, he gets there. So, well, at least they left me my toolbox. And he goes to pick up the duffel bag and he's going to pull probably a big wrench, which again, is not very valuable, but something which will be sturdy enough for him to use uh, as a weapon. So I was hoping to use always with the right tools from my uh, little followers. Yeah, yeah, three or higher. Great. So then, so Callum here is kind of, he's taking a turn then for his followers. So one of his, his character, Reese the Armadillo, one of the powers he rolled up sort of in the, in the random character creation process was that he has a follower. And we sort of skinned these followers then as a group of mice. These are, sort of, I imagine like the union workers, you know, kind of like, you know, whoever's left then of that, of that larger sort of mining force that maybe you got uh, separated from. Um, and so they have a trait always with the right tools. So that description of his turn there, um, that's would be then the followers turn. And I'd say, yeah, three or higher. Yep. In the streets and in the fields, always with the right tools. And that's a magnificent two. Oh, <laughs> so they're still <laughs> rifling through the bags. I can't find exactly what I want. Probably, yeah, yeah, he's picking it up, but uh, yeah, he didn't manage to find something uh, useful in it. But uh, okay, he's going gonna, gonna to jump on the toy toys with the others. And then so, yeah, so everyone would then get one more. So now the, um, the enemies get a little bit closer, right? And I would then put, you know, I'd put these tiles down on the table uh, and let you guys sort of get scared by them. The snake that I'm starting with three drama. So this rattlesnake is kind of, you know, like half side widening and half sort of burrowing in and out of the sand is going to have three drama coming at you, right? The motorcycle, the big boss rat guy, um, I'm also giving three drama to, right? So you can, just, you can kind of see that energy um, the band of geckos, I'm only giving two, right? So coming at you just so you have a little bit more of like a mechanical um, sense of what's what's coming your way. And more drama basically equates to more power, more sort of these guys are just more menacing and more sort of important to the scene. Right. Well, it's extra dice you roll on every challenge. So now they'll play two traits and themes. If they play to three or four of those, they can get three extra dice. They don't cash those in. That's three extra dice every single attack. Oh, I thought it was a, I thought drama was a cash. I knew it wasn't like a meta point per, per se, but I still thought it was a cash in sort of thing. Well, it'll, it'll depend on your powers. I don't think any of you guys have powers to do that. Um, it will, um, some of the characters are maybe like three, four of the way finished um so before uh they roll a challenge then i'll have you guys maybe flesh out or finish some of that stuff up which will be good right that'll be sort of that that tightening the bolts on the characters but i don't think any of you have power well you're summoning so for instance then um the, the wolf oh your backpack right you have to summon that wolf into being and it will cost you oh. three drama tokens to do that so when you have three drama you can take out your wolf tile and give him the drama instead and now you've got two and he can start taking his own well whatever he might mean, um, right, whatever. I would then be taking the AI's turns. 
right? So that would be, that's a cash out. Uh, most everything else, let's see, we have followers here. Um, I think for Reese, we might pick out another, uh, a different power for the armadillo or something we were thinking. Blade then, um, the rabbit, that huge propeller blade, when that thing builds up drama, it can take any small wound and turn it into a bigger one. So that one he doesn't want to cash out. That's called an overpower. So that maybe that's going to be like spinning. Maybe like you spin it. I mean, I don't know. We'll find that out. Um, but, <laughs> but Zips McKenzie has his blade and as it accrues drama, the blade itself can start accruing drama. He'll be pushing his drama over to that blade and it will be doing more damage then. The coyote is just a giant coyote. So one of his powers is <laughs> big and tough and has like tank level uh, hit points. Um, but yeah, so you guys don't have that. Some of the powers, a lot of the powers um, are going to, and you'll see that in your enemies, will be sort of cash out. But while you have drama, it's just a free die on every single turn. Okay. Um, well, then I think I'm going to jump in with my second check. Okay. Um, Wilhelmina is going to go and sort of not get on the bus, but sort of hide around the side of the bus. And she is going to um, uh, start fiddling with uh, her backpack, start fiddling with a wolf. And she wants to uh, to try and start charging up his power pack so that he could potentially do his cool thing. Okay. Again, playing to eclectic energy, and again, a three or higher check. Yeah. Right, yeah. And I got a seven, so hey, I get a drama token, correct? Yep. Yeah, Perfect. so that'll be on you, and then when you get three and enough to summon, you would then, uh, you know, then you'd I can shift them to both, both. and you put it over there. Yep, exactly. Perfect. Armadillo is going to stare a bit, uh, putting his hand on his forehead towards the gang. Wait a minute. <laughs> I think Dada used to tell me about a gang like that. If I want to to sort of make up on the fly information about the gang, uh, can I go ahead with it, or should I roll before, uh, or would you prefer? Um, I, that? I guess this would be different groups too. If the game master sort of had something um, in play, it would be again as story game as you want. Um, I like to play fantasy. We have called like a shuffle mode, where you really just sort of shuffle out. You have like maybe a season's worth of enemies and you kind of just shuffle them out and kind of make up the story as you go together. I think for one-off like this, yeah, I think it'd be cool if you wanted to add some story elements. Yeah, I think my old pops used to tell me stories about those guys. They're the Snake Oil uh, Bicycle Club. Their boss is, uh, is very good, but uh, they are a unruly group. Maybe we can, uh, we can scare a few of them... Uh, out uh, of the group and i'd like to roll uh, my my second trait papa was a rolling stone yeah perfect and see if i can if if it, this information is correct maybe somehow we could try to intimidate a few of the geckos which would not be uh some very uh, faithful followers to to the king or know that if we defeat the create a condition that's like faithless followers or something yeah yeah and yeah, yeah. if we we know that if we defeat the king or something like that, the others will flee or stuff like that. I'm going to roll. So yeah, three or higher. Playing to, so then the Reese has this trait, Papa was a rolling stone, right? So we're bringing this idea of stories from the father. Yeah, perfect. Three. That's enough. Um, so then in this case, then, if I had some very particular things about the gang that I think you should know, I would write the condition down and I would make that, right? You could decide to do that or generate drama for yourself. If you just want to sort of scare everyone by saying, yeah, this is that gang that cuts off people's toes. And you, I mean, you could just sort of like <laughs> do that and I'd let you get a drama for that, right? That's kind of your character is just like, watch out, guys, right? And, or I could say, ooh, yeah, here's something you know about the gang. And I would put down a condition if it were important, right? The fact that this is a one-off, I say I'd let you make up what you want for that, right? You could imagine if this were like a mystery, if we were playing sort of like a non-combat and you were maybe trying to dig up dirt against the judge, here's when I'd be like, oh, here's the dirt you find, right? I, as a game master, would sort of give you that condition. 
if that makes sense. I think the idea is that it's a, a, a rather unruly Motley yeah. Crue, so they, they are not very tied together, unlike maybe us uh, yeah. after this little scene, so we, we should be able to play on that during the fight. Yeah. Almost like a reverse playing on Strangers Become Friends. Yeah. That and they're so, not friends. Yeah, good. And so this, so this condition then is now a mechanical part of the story then, right? This idea of, yeah, I know these guys, they're totally ragtag. People come in and out all the time. And so this is just sort of a fact that you know that hopefully you can leverage later. Um, all these conditions can do is get rid of drama for people, right? But now on your turns, like in the middle of the fight, you're throwing out some comments, doing things like that. You can leverage this condition, you know, to hopefully get, you know, get rid of some of that massive drama coming your way. Perfect. Cool. Uh, Stefan, he's still working on getting his little parachute blindfold trap made up and his follower, the weasel, uh, Booty starts tapping him on the, the leg and Stefan looks down. Booty's got a hold of the end of the rope that attaches to the parachute and then he starts pointing at Zips Ooh. and then he points at the rope and then he points at Zips and Stefan just shakes his head and smiles big and we see Booty run over there and tie the end of the rope to Zips and then gives a thumbs up over to Stefan. I imagine like a flight controller, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Stefan's getting ready for when the uh, bad guys are in range to throw this parachute blindfold slash now thing to cause zips to fly. Rabbit feet are kind of like skis, right? Oh. You can sort of like desert ski. So are you are you okay sure. with this then, Zips? You kind of you can kind of read what their their plan is. Uh yeah uh, yeah Z Z Zips looks on uh surprised but but uh you know he's he's seen a lot. Okay. Zips is okay with this. So, so, so is, would this be like a drama token on Zips or... or what, well, what would... he'd be rolling for himself. This would be then, I think he could be either taking, I mean, you can correct us, Chris, maybe a turn for the follower booty for having this cool idea, playing to the end of the rope and yep. then give him some drama so he can get in the fray later. Or because you said, you know, the master, Stefan, slyer than a fox, he kind of like okayed the idea. You could be rolling for him to gain a drama token just for that idea of like, you know, the inventor kind of shows his his usefulness by inventing. Uh, I'll give it to Booty. I like the idea okay. of having the follower have one. Okay, cool. So are you going to roll three or higher? Did you pass that? Uh, yes, I rolled a four. Yay. Excellent. So I'm counting a drama. So we've got um, drama tokens on Wilhelmina, on Zips, and one on the follower Booty right now. Excellent. We're very dramatic. Is that <laughs> okay, so then it would be so that would be the end of the play around. Usually, I like to give um, we call them like reaction shots. I'll give you guys a few checks. It also gives us a chance as players then to kind of make sure we're all on the same page. Like if you say, "I want to jump in the water and hide," I'm like, "Wait, what water?" Right. So these small checks kind of give people a way, you know, to imagine how big that tree is or where people are in position. Right. You kind of can like sort of talk those things out. Imagine the tone of your response to, are you, are you all planning to, you know, preparing for combat or are you preparing to hide? Right, exactly. So I, I like, in most scenes, I'll give all the characters, I usually just do two, right? And it's, it's called reaction shots. It's just something we kind of do. But from now on, play's going to go um, round by round. All the enemies will take one turn each, and then all of you guys will take one turn each. And you can go whatever order you want, and you can now make checks or challenges, right? There's no sort of limit on what that could be. Or you could utilize one of your powers, but you get one turn. If you have a follower that follower gets a separate turn. So for example, then Reese Armadillo will take a turn and that whole band of mice will take a turn, right? So you've kind of got two turns then, Callum, that you're going to decide what to do on each go. Okay, cool. And you still have an open power and I guess we can, uh, we could, you know, sort of give you something sort of simple and useful for the group or I'd be fine with you, you know, kind of grabbing, finding, finding a machine or something whenever you want and we'll say whatever that machine is, that's like the power, some tool or gizmo 
Yeah, otherwise, what you rolled for me was summon elemental, uh, which right. seemed to be uh, rather dynamic. Uh, I mean, the trait is that it changes every time as needed, and the look it changes as needed. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'd like to keep summon elemental. It's just the way I'm going to make it look like it's more taking advantage of the environment in cool. some fashion. So we'll see how it goes, but uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll literally summon an elemental, but I'd rather set some gasoline on fire or... Or awesome. use a well or some stuff like that, but uh, yeah, let's see. Let's see how it rolls. Like I said, you make professional role players. I should. I should have known that. <laughs> I wish I was professional. <laughs> uh, and so, like, I know that my power to summon, quote unquote, summon, um, like Wolf costs three drama tokens. Does the summon elemental for um, uh, for Calum? Does it have the same cost, yes. or is it? And it, the okay. and the elemental then will have one trait, but he'll be able to make that up in the moment. Right, right, right. Again. So his, and that's kind of like the, the trade-off, right? So his elemental is a little more versatile in that way. And it has, and any damage it does deals also a status effect. So that's really useful too. Do we have drama tokens from the get-go? You don't. You don't. Okay, so I need to build them up. So Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And so on your turn then, if you want to, um, you can take checks. You don't have to attack on your turn, right? Like let them attack. Every time you defend, the full counterattack is built in. So you can just you know, stick back and try to generate a bunch of drama if you want. Um, and you're still in the game. You're still in that because anytime I attack you, um, you have a full counterattack built in. Right? You kind of voice your defensive challenge um, against the obstacle. So building up drama is, you know, is, is kind of you know, part of the, the strategy there. And let's see. So just you know, if players are in a particular position, that would be marked as a condition. Right? So right now, none of you have conditions sort of saying where you are. Um, all conditions we see are universal and neutral. So no condition, you can't say I tied up the bad guy and kind of have that as a, as a, as a condition because okay. you need a status effect for that. That would be the snared status effect. Okay, so that's the sort of thing that fate does where you apply a, uh, an aspect to somebody. That's not what a condition right. is. No, the condition is actually more like, well, it's, it's kind of more like an aspect and just in the way that it's, it's real. Yeah. Right? So your traits are more like thematic elements of your character. They're not, real you wouldn't have like i am related to the governor that wouldn't be a trait in fantasy that would be a condition so in some ways they are kind of like the aspects but you don't put them on a person okay so this is neutral to anyone if you say i am inside the tank you're inside the tank that's neutral if there's a fire outside the tank that's good right you want conditions to help you in the in the situation <laughs> but by default or i guess like inherently they are neutral like I'm on this side of the wall and the enemy is on that side of the wall or I am on top of the building and then someone blows up the building, that's not good for you. But inherently being on top of the building isn't like he's on fire, he's tied up, something like that, right? Okay. So because there's no condition saying where you all are, it's kind of then up to sort of the details of any given turn, right? So I was saying before, I could say, you know, when Stefan pokes his head out the door to look at something, I shoot him with a crossbow, right? I can kind of draw that out a little bit because Stefan has doesn't have a condition saying Stefan is inside of the bunker. Does that make sense mm -hmm. to everyone, right? So that's how the conditions are going to come into play. Um, they're also then, like I said, little booby traps. So if someone does, if Stefan is inside the bunker and I try to shoot him, my character loses a drama token, right? Because I've sort of tripped over that condition. So in a way, it can get a little like oh. a munchkin if you're playing and there's like seven conditions on the table and you want it to be, it's neutral, it's universal, everyone's affected by it. You know, everyone, it's objective reality for everyone and it's neutral, but on my turn, I might accidentally trip three of those things because you guys just sort of artfully laid some traps and then I just lose those tokens. So for instance, if someone were trying to be stealthy right now, mm -hmm. they would have 
they would have to probably contend with both high noon sun and wide open. Perfect. Yeah. If I tried to sneak behind okay. you, you would say, bro, and I would lose two drama tokens. I almost tried doing that. Thank you very much. I would have had <laughs> some really dumb geckos, right? And they have, and you know, even for like undead, one of their powers is kind of like easily trips conditions. So it's like a reminder to the game master, like your power is that this guy doesn't have a mind, so he can't, you know, easily trips conditions, right? So I mean, there's, um, but in most cases, uh, if you play, it's going to be like a surprise, right? You wouldn't do it on purpose to be dramatic. There's just kind of, you might do it on purpose because you're like, I've got 15 drama. I'm going to run at this guy. I don't care if I lose one. It's just easier and it makes my turn way cooler. And I hit three of my traits by doing this, right? There could be a trade-off strategically. Um, but there's never a time when okay. you can intentionally trip one, really. It's not in any way beneficial for you. Right. Okay. Because cool. they're not like themes, right? If there was a theme like, you know, high noon, if that were our theme, then you'd play to this idea of the duel, right? Like the Wild West high noon. And that would be a thematic element that gets you dice by playing to it. Right, but high noon is a condition. It's just saying it's bright, sunny out. There are not even any shadows because it's directly above us. I mean, if we were, you know, on the equator. But... <laughs> cool. Are you ready for me to try destroying you now? Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash therpgacademy.com and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus, at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening, and as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>